You're listening to Heartland Politics with Robin Johnson, a presentation of WVIK Quad Cities NPR. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Heartland Politics show and podcast, which is aired on and distributed by WVIK Quad Cities NPR. WVIK is the flagship public radio station in the Quad Cities region of northwestern Illinois and eastern Iowa. This is your host, Robin Johnson, and it's my pleasure today to have as my guest the Illinois State Controller, Susanna Mendoza. She's been on my show before. Um, she was first elected in 2016, and she's running for re-election. And uh, I'm, I'm very glad that you've taken some time out to uh, uh, talk with me today. Good to see you again. Oh, always a pleasure, Robin. Thanks for having me. Well, my first question is this. If I had to ask you to summarize in one word the state of the, of the Illinois finances, what would that be? In one word? Yeah. I would say better. Better. Okay. Because that's um, a tough one to say in one word, but clearly we are better. Okay. Take it from there, uh, because everybody's aware that we went through some very difficult times in this state, uh, and and uh, the, the bond rating, uh, debts, way behind on debts. We were a basket case compared. We were at the bottom of all the states. How are we mm-hmm. doing now? So we're doing much better, again, hence the word. We, we have things that we did not have for decades. Uh, two other words, stability, predictability right? Those are two really important words when it comes to finances. So to put it in context for your audience, um, I was elected in 2016 in December of 2016 is when I was sworn in. Um, I was elected in November, had like a week or two to get ready to get sworn in. I took office on day 523 of what ended up being a 736-day budget impasse. That means that Illinois had gone two years without a budget. And the majority of the bills being paid out of the controller's office were actually being done through court order, because in the absence of a budget, the controller can't legally pay bills. And so it was a really catastrophic thing that happened. And what makes it worse, um, Robin, is that this happened when it was absolutely unnecessary for it to happen. It happened through fault of the people in government at that time. You might remember that Governor Rauner had said when he was first campaigning for governor that if he needed to, even if for a little while, he would shut down government because he wanted to do things like make Illinois a right to work state. Um, And uh, that was obviously never going to happen in the state of Illinois. We're a very proud union friendly state. Um, You know, unions built this state and they're going to continue to be a significant, um, you know, ally in moving Illinois forward. Having said that, he was willing to shut down the entire state safety network, you know, safety net hospitals, uh, people that care for children and adults with disabilities. This is the same guy, and you can't make this up. You could look, Google it. He he cut autism funding on World Autism Day. I mean, who does that, right? But this is the kind of stuff that was happening during that 736-day budget impasse, and it was catastrophic to Illinois' finances because this happened during the best economy of our lifetimes. So while every other state in the nation was taking advantage of a roaring economy and putting hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars into their own rainy day fund reserves, the state of Illinois completely depleted its rainy day fund and had less than $60,000 in it, Robin, when I took office. Less than $60,000 in reserves, but more than triple the debt in just two years from when Governor Rauner first took office. So he tripled the debt from 
$3 billion to $16.7 billion in just two years of an amazing economy. So it really should have been criminal. Unfortunately, it was not. But I was charged with the task of fixing that and turning it around. When I took office, the day I took office on day 523, Robin, the average delay in paying vendors across the state of Illinois, whether they were hospitals or nursing homes or hospice care facilities or providers of any kind of service to our state, the average delay was 210 business days. That is brutal. That's nine and a half months in real people time. Today, my oldest bill, not even the average delay, but my oldest bill that has yet to be paid is only six days old. It is a remarkable turnaround. And by the way, I paid down the state's bill backlog. It is gone. I eliminated it. And I brought it down to under $3 billion, which is the normal cost of operating business on a day-to-day uh, you know, operation set. So that means that we're paying our bills on time. They're being paid well under 30 days. We're always going to have debt, just like you would always have debt at your home if you have a rent payment or a utility bill or a mortgage payment or a car or tuition payment. As long as you can make those bills, pay them on time, it's, it's responsible debt. It's what you need to operate your household. The state of Illinois is always going to have debts to operate our state. But as long as we're paying those debts on time and we're not losing sleep over that because the vendors are losing sleep if we're not paying our bills on time, then that means we're running our state efficiently. And that's where we're at today. I paid down our bill backlog to under $3 billion before, and I wish I could put this in all caps, before a penny of the federal ARPA stimulus dollars had even arrived in Illinois. So it's impossible that I paid down the bill backlog with federal stimulus money because I hadn't received it yet by the time I'd already paid down the backlog of unpaid bills. So Illinois is fundamentally better off. Uh, When I ran, I promised voters that if they elected me, I would lead us to our first credit upgrade in over six and over 20 years. We hadn't been upgraded in 20 years. We did get eight consecutive downgrades during the best economy in our lifetime before I took office, just in the two years before I took office. But since I've taken office, I kept my promise and I over-delivered because not only did we get one credit upgrade, but it didn't stop there or at two or three or four or even five. We've now gotten six full credit upgrades, by the way, in the middle of a global pandemic. So by every marker you could measure us, Robin, we are doing much better. Six credit upgrades, a bill backlog that is gone. It's now a working accounts payable of today, $1.6 billion. Um, the 210 business day delay in paying bills is down to six days of paying bills on time. And we went from less than $60,000 in our rainy day fund to today, $1,047,000,000, the most we've ever had in the history of Illinois. So I would say, again, by all accounts, we're doing much, much better. I'm, I'm curious um, about the, the uh, uh, I, I, I guess, you know, the, I've had people from the other party, the Republicans, come on and say how bad it is. And that's one of the things they say is that, well, all this uh, federal money came in and made it look better. And you've you've just refuted that. But yeah, uh, and you could you could you could actually prove that through just looking at the calendar of when the money came in versus when I had already paid down the state's debt. I have multiple charts. I'm happy to share them with you. And if you have a podcast that people see or even on your website, you could link to those charts and they can see the timeline of how uh, the money came in. And by the time the money came in, we had already paid down our bill backlog to under $3 billion. We had received our first two credit upgrades of the six. 
before a penny of that federal ARPA stimulus money came in. So I just tell people, be careful about believing this misinformation because the one group that you should trust on where to get Illinois financial footing, uh, you know, judgment from, you know, don't even trust me, but you got to trust the credit rating agencies who have now given us six credit upgrades. They know the facts. They follow this very, very closely and they don't play politics. They don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. They just analyze whether or not the state is doing better financially. And clearly we are. They've given us six credit upgrades, the first in over 20 years. So I, I look at that as a real validator for the hard work that I've been doing. And it's not my job to play politics. I don't care if people are Democrat or Republican, and nor should they care, um, you know, whether their controller is a Democrat or a Republican. They should only care that the controller is transparent about how their money's being spent, where it's being spent, and make sure that their controller is working hard to respect every single hard-earned tax dollar that they send to our state's, state's coffers. And clearly, I'm, I'm very proud to have been doing all of those things. I'm curious what, I mean, there's still like a, I think a lot of people seeing those bad headlines for so many years are still just, it, it's, it's hard to believe and not that they, not that it's fake news or anything, but it's just like, wow, how did this happen? What were the key factors in this turnaround? What what were the things no. that drove this? Thank you for asking that. Cause I, I don't usually get to nerd out on numbers, but I love it. This is and a nerd show here. You can nerd I out. I totally you love that, you know, and, um, and I'll tell you, I get excited talking about, you know, nerdy numbers. I kind of want to be like Justin Timberlake <laughs> and bring sexy back to the finances, you know, but um, I will tell you that this financial turnaround did not happen overnight. And it certainly didn't happen because of the COVID. We did need the revenue from COVID to deal with COVID-related issues, right? I mean, if you can imagine that we wouldn't wouldn't have been hit by a pandemic, we wouldn't needed we would not have needed all of that extra revenue coming from the federal government to pay for increased attention to hospitals and vaccines and all the you know PPE and all of these different financial things that had to be done to help people get through the pandemic. None of that would have been necessary if people were still working and not worrying about dying tomorrow, right? So that money has had a very specific purpose. And I actually state what the purpose of every single one of those COVID dollars that we got $8.1 million from the federal, 8.1 billion, I'm sorry, uh, dollars from the federal government. And every penny of that is accounted for on my transparency portal for COVID-19 on my website. It actually, and again, Illinoisans aren't used to good news. We were actually ranked the number one transparency portal for COVID-19 spending in the country. So kudos to the controller's office here for coming up with the number one transparency portal in the country. And so we've been wanting to make sure that people understand what's happening with their money and how we got where we got. So to your question about how did we get here? It happened over the last six years. From the minute you elected me state controller, I got to work on trying to figure out how to get a handle on the state's debt. I wasn't even sure what the total amount of the state's debt was because I couldn't see it. And I had to pass legislation my first year in office that would require monthly reporting from all of the different like 87 state agencies that interface with my office that we pay bills for. I, I needed to know how many liabilities each of those agencies had incurred during that fiscal year. Because believe it or not, as the state's CFO, I had only visibility once a year on the state's liabilities and I would only get a report from every single state agency and the report was one line. It was the name of their agency with the total number 
total amount of liabilities they had. So for example, in October, I would get a report that was only current as of June 30th of that year. So by the time I got it, it was already 90 days late or 90 days old, I should say. So, or out of, out of date. And so I'm looking at this report and it would say like Department of Corrections. That's one of the many agencies, right? And it would have a parentheses. That's never good in finance. Parentheses bad. That means you have less money than you're supposed to have. It's a negative. So parentheses like $480 million. It was something close to that, which means that that state agency had overspent their appropriated authority by almost half a billion dollars. In other words, deficit spending was happening. But I couldn't find out about it until after it had already happened because I wouldn't see this until October and it was only current as of June 30th, the end of the fiscal year. So I thought that is an insane way to operate a business. It's definitely an insane way to operate a government and no business would ever have a CFO who couldn't see the bills that were being racked up on a day-to-day -day or month-to-month -month basis. So long story short, as a former legislator, I see a problem. I, there's a legislative solution to this. And I, I took it upon myself to uh, introduce legislation that would require monthly reporting to my office and not just of a total number, like the amount of the liability, but you know, how many vouchers, how many invoices are you sitting on? Because each invoice is to a specific vendor, right? These are real people that are hurting when they're not being paid on time. And I want to be able to tell that story. And so I wanted to know, are they zero to 30 days old, 30 to 60 days old, 60 to 90 days old? And if they're over 90 days old, how old are they? And what are the late payment penalties associated with those old debts? Because in Illinois, after you don't pay a bill for 90 days, in many cases, we have to pay 1% penalty per month in interest payments. So the best way for me to be able to tackle the bill backlog is to know exactly what it consists of, to be able to see it on a month-to-month -month basis, and then be able to set up a game plan for attack. And so that's what I did. I passed legislation, just really shamefully so, Governor Rauner vetoed that legislation. But again, I had great relationships on both sides of the aisle, friends on the Republican side, friends on the Democratic side from my days in the legislature. They trusted me. They knew that what I was asking for was necessary to fix our state's finances. And they got behind my legislation and we unanimously overrode Governor Rauner's veto of the Debt Transparency Act. And it became law. And thankfully, by the way, that was the first time we ever unanimously overrode a sitting governor uh, from a veto. That had never happened in Illinois history. And I'm glad it happened on this bill because this is the bill that created the level of transparency that I needed to be able to really tackle our debts and turn our, our state's fiscal ship around. So having said that, I can now see the liabilities. I can plan on how best to attack them. I was able to start by taking care of all the bills that were super late so that we would stop the hemorrhaging of late payment interest penalties that had exceeded a billion dollars when I took office. It was horrible. We were spending like two million bucks a day on interest payments. And because of that, I wanted to make sure that we could refinance a large portion of that, um, of those bills that hadn't been paid once we had a budget. I advocated for $6 billion in bond authority to be able to sell $6 billion worth of our debt at a much lower interest rate. Because I know I just talked to you again, this is total nerd speak, but we were paying 1% um, uh, interest on almost $16 billion worth of debt. And so I knew that even with our horrific credit rating downgrades, we would get a better rate than 12% if we went to the market to refinance. 
kind of like people at home, you know, like, do you have a mortgage? Robin, do you have a mortgage? Mine's, no, mine's paid off. Well, good for you. But you probably know a ton of people that have mortgages, oh, yeah. right? And oh, at, yeah. some, at some point when you had your mortgage, you knew that uh, you were hoping, you always wish you had the lowest interest rate possible that you could get, right? So it's like I ask people, you know, for those who have mortgages, if you were paying 12% on your mortgage and I could refinance you at 3.5%, would you take that deal? And of course, everybody would take that deal because they'd save hundreds of thousands of dollars on their home. In Illinois, when you're talking about billions of dollars, you'd be saving billions of dollars in interest payment over the lifetime of that deal. So I uh, was able to convince Mike, are you still there? Yeah. Okay, I thought I lost you. I was able to convince the legislature to um, authorize $6 billion worth of bonds, uh, you know, issuance. And unfortunately, again, in this instance, Governor Rauner fought me on this. And I had to convince every single editorial board in the state, which was delaying implementation of this bond, right, um, that this was necessary, that it was costing us $2 million a day in additional interest payments to not do the bond deal. Uh, and ultimately, after enough um, heat that was put on the governor by these editorial boards uh, that sided with me on this, um, he capitulated and we were able to go to the market with $6 billion worth of bonds. And we got an incredible rate of 3.5%. And that 3.5%, instead of paying 12% on, on $6 billion, is going to save taxpayers between 4 and $6 billion in what otherwise would have been uh, late payment interest penalties, we would have been on the hook for it. So four to $6 billion is tremendous savings for taxpayers, billions, right? But on top of that, that $6 billion, Robin, this is where the major turnaround started to happen. I took $6 billion in bond authority and I leveraged it for every single bill that I could find in that pile of almost 17 billion that would give me a federal match of 50 cents on each dollar. So essentially, I took $6 billion, stretched each one of those by an extra 50 cents, and turned $6 billion into $9 billion in debt repayment. And so I put that $9 billion into the market. It was like a lifesaver for all of these vendors who were waiting to get paid. And, um, and then, you know, leverage every federal matching dollars to instead of just paying down $6 billion in debt, we paid down $9 billion and chopped $9 billion off of that $17 billion backlog. And I have used that same method, that same methodology every day as controller. For the first time, I think in our state's history, I literally have zero bills today to pay in Medicaid. We are completely up to date on them because those are the first bills I pay because they're the ones that give me the biggest federal match. And so every time I can leverage one state dollar, and turn it into $1.50 in repayment when it only costs us a dollar, that's a win for taxpayers. It's essentially like using a coupon at home to stretch the value of your money at the grocery store. And I do that with um, our state dollars every day, and it's the best way to be respectful of people's money is making it stretch further for them. And so that's how I've managed the state's finances. I've used every fiscal tool. There's too many to like, I'd be on your show forever, but I'm just gonna tell you that, trust me that I have found every single nook and cranny and tool available and used it to its maximum potential to stretch the value of every dollar. And remember, I chopped $9 billion off the bill backlog before Governor Pritzker even got elected. So this was well before any pandemic or anything of the sort. And I had already paid down the bill backlog probably to about, I think it was $5 billion or so, 
before the pandemic even started to rear its ugly head. And so in the middle of the pandemic, before we had received even a penny of federal ARPA dollars yet, I had already paid down our bill backlog to $3 billion, under $3 billion, using these same methodologies and financial tools that I have available to me as controller. But the transparency, that bill that I passed, has been stated by all of the credit rating agencies as instrumental in them deciding to give us credit upgrades because they have a very clear picture of where Illinois is now versus where Illinois was and have much more confidence in our ability to weather, you know, future economic downturns and that they see that we're actually making significant and real progress in turning around our state's finances. We have about five minutes here and I, it left and I, I wanted to ask, you brought up uh, you were very active, it sounds like, in proposing legislation after you took office on what you found and needed reforms. Um, I guess, are you at a point where you feel like things are running smoothly, or do you have an agenda coming up from further legislative ideas to uh, help? Uh, again, this is important. I know we got deep into this. You got deep into this. But, th folks, this is your tax dollars at work, and this is the state's top taxpayer watchdog. Uh, do you have an agenda coming up for watching dollars more closely? Well, you better believe it. If I ever tell you I don't have an agenda, then you probably shouldn't be voting for me. So I will tell you I'm always having an agenda to make things better. And the better they get, there's always a way to keep improving, right? And so we're already at a billion, $47 million in, in a rainy day fund, which is our reserves. That's awesome. But I do have legislation pending that one of your own uh, state representative, Mike Halpin, is the lead sponsor of. So he's my champion on this legislation. It's great for Illinois. And what this would do is it would require automatic deposits into the state's rainy day fund and into the state's pension stabilization fund. Now, the pension stabilization fund is our biggest source of uh, you know, financial worry right now because we have an unfunded pension liability of about $129 billion. But this year, for the first year in the history of Illinois, we added an additional $500 million above the minimum payments that we have to do by statute into the pensions. So that means we paid $500 million more than we normally would. That's like you at home making an extra payment on your mortgage. If you do that once a year, you're going to knock like six years off of your mortgage. So by paying an extra $500 million into our state's pension fund this year because we had extra money, we were able to cut about $1.8 billion in the unfunded pension liability. So anytime we can put more money above and beyond the minimum into stabilizing our pensions, that's really good news for Illinois. It will send the credit rating agencies again, another signal that we are serious about fixing our state's finances. I think it will lead to another credit upgrade when we pass this legislation because it will say that anytime our revenues grow, by more than 4% in a year, and our accounts payable remains under $3 billion, which is the normal cost of running business. Today, our accounts payable is only $1.6 billion. So we would check that box. But let's say next year, our revenues don't grow by 4%, then we wouldn't be automatically depositing money into these funds. But if our revenues do grow by more than 4%, and we continue to manage our finances well the way we are now, at under $3 billion, then this automatic trigger would happen where we would put $200 million into the state's rainy day fund and an additional $200 million into the state's pension stabilization fund. 
until we hit a savings of seven and a half percent in reserves. That would be about three and a quarter billion dollars. It sounds like a lot of money, Robin, but it's really not because you want to be able to protect whatever budget you put in place from an economic downturn of no fault of our own, right? Let's say a recession or some catastrophic thing like a pandemic, right? And so we don't ever want to be caught flat-footed again. That's all I've known. All I've known is managing through crisis. But I want to know that when I leave the controller's office, whoever's in my shoes is never going to have to go through the dark days that I went through, that they will be much better prepared to lead our state through any kind of downturn, and that fundamentally our kids are not going to have to be paying for the mistakes of the generations before them. And so preparing ourselves to whether any economic downturn is fiscally responsible, it's fiscally disciplined, and it's smart. And um, the state of Illinois getting a three and a quarter billion, that is a lot more than we've ever had, but it's still only about three weeks worth of reserves. The average reserve across the country for states is about 35 days worth of reserves. But I can tell you that with three weeks worth of reserves, we're on really solid footing and that would be just phenomenal for Illinois. So at that point, we could stop putting money into the rainy day fund. And, and my bill would propose that all 400 million, instead of splitting it 50-50, the 200 that used to go to rainy day would now go into pension stabilization. So we'd have, in addition to what we normally pay, at the very least, an additional $400 million going into stabilizing our pensions. I really believe the credit rating agencies are going to love seeing that type of fiscal discipline, and they're going to they're going to upgrade our credit. So Mike Halpin is the champion of theirs. So when you see him, give him an attaboy because this is really good stuff. And then the lastly, next week, I'm going to be in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, with other legislators, Representative Dave Bella from Rockford, and he is going to be, he's my lead sponsor on legislation that would create an automatic appropriation, which means continual funding whenever necessary, for the families of fallen officers, police officers, sheriffs, uh, EMTs, firemen, those frontline responders, when they fall in the line of duty, when they pass away in the line of duty, I think the very best thing that we can do to protect them and honor their legacy is protect their families and make sure that they don't have to wait uh, or see no delays on getting the benefits, the financial benefits that the state provides in these you know, very tragic circumstances. Um, I, it came to my attention last year that there were widows and orphans who had been waiting more than six months to be paid uh, because the state had actually appropriated $5 million when in effect so many people died in the line of service that we needed $9 million worth of uh, appropriation. We had to go back to the legislature. This process takes months. People had to wait months to receive their benefits. And I don't want those families waiting an extra minute. So we will be passing legislation that I've asked these two, uh, Senator Belt and Senator uh, and Representative um, Bella to carry on behalf of our office to create an automatic payment for any family uh, regardless of whether it was budgeted for or not, these are families we should always be providing for, and that's what this legislation will do. Controller Susanna Mendoza has been my guest today on Heartland Politics, and as you could tell, uh, she's very passionate about her job. And uh, folks will forgive us for engaging in this nerd fest, but it's important. It's your tax dollars at work, and uh, uh, it sounds like there's some very good news that she shared with us today. And Controller, again, I, I thank you very much. Uh, th through the miracle of technology, we're talking through Zoom as you're on your way to Springfield. So. Uh, I appreciate very much you taking the time out today from your schedule to visit with me and our listeners.
Oh, my, my pleasure. Do me a favor, Robin, because I, I'm not in the Quad Cities, but I want to live vicariously through you. Head over to Whitey's and get like a nice little uh, uh, shake vanilla with uh, Reese's peanut butter cups and Oreo cookies, and I'll just pretend that I'm eating it. Oh, my goodness. I miss Whitey's. I don't know if you know, my brother was a police officer in the Quad Cities for 10 years before he came to Chicago. So I, I, I feel like I have a strong connection to uh, that part of the state and, and I miss it. So I'll see you soon, hopefully out there next time I'm in town. But thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. And I'll just humbly ask the voters to, to please give me another shot to continue to serve as your state controller. There's more work that needs to be done and I wanna be in charge of doing it. Heartland Politics is a production of WVIK. Quad Cities NPR. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can hear more on the Heartland Politics podcast, available at wvik.org, in the WVIK app, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.